From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Once again, to Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages from the ministry of Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. On today's broadcast, Dr. Cairns will continue this series of studies in the life and earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns shortly. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of the great 19th century English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon found in his collection called Faith's Checkbook. Our devotional for today is entitled From Anger to Love. The text is found in Micah chapter 7 and verse 19. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. God never turns from his love, but he soon turns from his wrath. His love to His chosen is according to His nature. His anger is only according to His office. He loves because He is love. He frowns because it is necessary for our good. He will come back to the place in which His heart rests, namely, His love to His own, and then He will take pity upon our griefs and end them. What a choice promise is this! He will subdue our iniquities. He will conquer them. They cry to enslave us, but the Lord will give us victory over them by His own right hand. Like the Canaanites, they shall be beaten, put under the yoke, and ultimately slain. As for the guilt of our sins, how gloriously is that removed? All their sins, yes, the whole host of them, thou wilt cast. Only an almighty arm could perform such a wonder into the depths of the sea, where Pharaoh and his chariots went down, not in the shallows, out of which they might be washed up by the tide, but into the depths shall our sins be hurled. They are all gone. They sank into the bottom like a stone. Hallelujah!
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth even for ever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. We at Let the Bible Speak pray that the truth of salvation through God's only begotten Son will be your portion at this Christmas season. Today on Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns brings the next portion of a message entitled The Divine Teacher. In expounding Matthew chapter 13, Dr. Cairns is emphasizing the great aspects of Christ's teaching. He always dealt with eternal truth, in contrast to much contemporary preaching that focuses merely on making the listeners feel good. At this point in his earthly ministry, Jesus began teaching through parables, using ordinary situations to convey spiritual lessons. The first emphasis in this teaching was the power of vital godliness and intimate knowledge of God in the soul. Then Christ presented these great truths in unforgettable terms, such as the sower of the seed and the different types of ground. Now Dr. Cairns continues to look at the Lord Jesus Christ as the divine teacher. We have taken God to make him to exist for the good of man. 
We have taken the gospel and we have made it into a touchy-feely, happy-clappy, for the moment, existential experience. The Lord Jesus dealt with the kingdom of heaven, with the doctrine of salvation. His emphasis was upon the heart and its relationship to the eternal God. He dwelt upon the spiritual. He dwelt upon the eternal. He took the things that the Old Testament prophets had foretold and a desire to look into. And he expounded them by parable. You look at the parables we have read, or the one we have read and the ones to which I have made reference, and you'll see examples of this fixation on great truth. In Matthew 13, he's dealing with the reality of spiritual life in the soul. What... Uh, has been called the life of God in the soul of man. What a theme. That's what the Lord Jesus was dealing with. He wasn't only dealing with how uh, to do this in your life and how to do that, how to feel good in this situation and all the rest of it. Those things are byproducts of a right relationship with God. But let me tell you, you can feel good and be damned. You can have religious experience and be totally away from God. You remember when David was bringing the ark on the cart back to Jerusalem? And he was in a religious frenzy. He was dancing and praising and singing. There was great joy. The whole company was elevated to the heights of a religious experience. But God was angry with them was not in their midst except to judge them and to smite Uzzah when he dared to touch the holy ark of God. You can have experience and go to hell with it. You can speak in tongues and be damned, make prophecies and be damned. You can make miracles and be damned. Matthew 7 tells you that clearly. I am all for emotion in religion. I am all for feeling in Christianity. I am all for God's people feeling. But I want to tell you the only emotion that I'm interested in producing in God's people or in my own heart is an emotion that is a, a reaction to great God-given, Christ-centered truth. It is not some surface thing stirred up by a shallow experience. That kind of experience is like a fire that will burn you to ashes. The only fire that burns but doesn't leave ashes is the fire of God. The only experience that is unalloyed is an experience that comes from the depths of great truth wrought within the soul. The Lord Jesus was dealing with the reality, not the profession, mind you, not the initial appearance, but the reality, the abiding, fruit-bearing reality of life in the soul. 
I don't want to get off into expounding the parables, but I fear. Now, I'm not the judge of souls, thank God. But I fear that most of our church members in evangelical and fundamental and even reformed churches will be found in the day of judgment to be people like those on the stony ground. They spring up, there, there appears to be life, but there isn't. Or like the thorny ground, again, there appears to be life, but there isn't. This is what Christ is dealing with. The people on the stony ground, A, had a response to the gospel that appeared positive. B, they had an appearance of life about them. At the beginning, it looked like they were the real thing. Same with the thorny ground. But they weren't saved. No reality. That's what Christ is preaching about. He's preaching about the power of vital godliness. The word vital in this connection does not mean necessary, although obviously godliness is necessary. It comes from the Latin word vita, meaning life. Vital godliness is living godliness. Godliness that is produced by life. You see how God's truth differs from man's religion? He's talking here about fitness for the judgment. I could go on and deal with other parables in other places where the Lord Jesus shows you its great truth that he's dealing with. Some of their, we have young men here this morning who are preparing for the Christian ministry. I'm going to give you a free lesson in homiletics. I remember reading this years ago. I think it was in Dr. W.G.T. Shedd in his book on preaching and pastoral theology. And he was simply saying what I'm saying here and what we're learning from the Lord Jesus, but he said, preachers must always take great texts. I am sick, sore, and tired of preachers trying to be clever. Preachers who long to be original. Dr. Shedd also taught the only originality a preacher can honestly display is to be faithful to the text of God's Word. This is the original. It's not my job to come to you with something that I have finally spun out of my imagination. It is not my job to come to you to show you the width of my reading or the depth of my philosophy. It is my job to come to you with the great truths of the Word of God. That's what Jesus did. And that's what every preacher must do. There is this 
exclusive focus on great truths. Second thing I point out is that the Lord Jesus Christ presented these truths in unforgettable ways. He used parables, stories, often defined, uh, defining parables as a heavenly story with an earthly meaning. The word parable uh, comes from a Greek term that has the idea of something thrown beside something else. In other words, it carries in it the idea of a comparison. Now, you'll see immediately you have two elements, and I'm going to say there's a third element. Uh, I really maybe shouldn't get into this because it's more for something you've got to teach preachers, especially when they start parabolic preaching of their own and using symbolisms and illustrations. But let me point this out. In every parable, you have a symbol. That's the story. And then you have the fulfillment of it. That's the interpretation. Now, those are the two elements in every parable. But obviously, there has to be a third element that makes the symbol a fit illustration of the thing that is being illustrated. There's a technical term that uh, theologians use for this. They try and get around a whole lot of big words. They have a little Latin phrase, and they call this the tertium comparationis, which really is the third of comparison. What does that mean? It means that there's a third element in every parable. If I may symbolize it or describe it this way, it's like a bridge. It has one foot here and one foot here, and it brings the both sides together. In the parable, you don't only have the symbol and the thing symbolized, but you have a third undefined, unspoken element that makes this a fit symbol of that. In other words, it is the essence or, or the ground of the comparison. When you look at the Lord Jesus Christ's parables, you'll find that there is always this which is unspoken, but is easily recognizable that makes the illustration clearly comprehensible and right. And you can say, now I can see why he uses that, which I can understand, to define and describe that which would otherwise be very mysterious. There is, in every good illustration, there is that unspoken element which people will, without being able to isolate it, define it, or even stop to think it's there, they will immediately feel the rightness of this. Now, just a word again to the preachers in passing. You've got to be very careful here. Because though people don't think of this, you should. And you should always make sure in any illustration you're giving that there is that third unspoken element, that it really is a fit means of conveying the truth you want to convey. I have heard more garbage and more heresy taught by means of illustration. Let me give you one outstanding example. came up here some years ago when the abortion protests were at their height and when uh, 
There were those like, well, I'll not get into names because I could, but I'll not do that this morning for this is not a sermon on abortion, uh, or those protesting it. When uh, there were eminent people, put it that way, who said, let me give you an illustration. If you saw a man with a shotgun going into a house, you knew that man had already killed 500 children, and he's going into that house with a shotgun, and you know that he's going there to shoot more children, would you not, if you had a gun in your hand, tell him to stop or you'll shoot him? And if he doesn't stop, would you not be justified in shooting him? Well, an abortion doctor has already killed many, and he's going in to do it again. So you'd be justified in killing him. Hence, we had bombings and killings of abortion doctors. Always be careful of anybody who establishes a doctrine by an illustration. If you can't establish it from Scripture in plain teaching, be careful of the man who wants to establish it first and foremost by an illustration. What is wrong, and I'm not getting into the details, what is wrong with that illustration is it lacks that tertium comparationis. It lacks that which is necessary to make this a basis for this. You remember in the life of the Lord Jesus, the disciples came to him, and they were at, in Samaria, and the, the, the Samaritans were a bit churlish, so immediately, gentle John and the others said, Lord, will you have us, after all they had been doing miracles before, Lord, will you have us call down fire from heaven as Elijah did? Now, it seemed impeccable logic. There's the illustration. Elijah called down fire from heaven on God's enemies. Here are God's enemies. We will call down fire from heaven. Jesus said, you don't know what kind you are of. But what he's telling him is, you're not of God in saying this. There is a surface logic, but it lacked the real bridge, as it were, the third element. That was never missing in the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. His parables were always perfect as illustrations for what would otherwise be mysterious. You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We are here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. If you would like to receive our booklet, Separated Unto the Gospel, a booklet that sets forth the beliefs and standards of the Free Presbyterian Church, you may have a copy free of charge, simply for the asking. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 
1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we let the Bible speak. 